0: well hello everyone and welcome to the four persons and i got a very special guest today from the other side of the pond so to speak (laughs) greg
1: nolan greg how you doing today i'm I'm doing pretty good i'm doing pretty good thank you for the invite i'm looking forward to the conversation we'll have today yeah thanks be to god all is good
0: how's yourself I'm I'm doing great. Now you approached me on Facebook and Mm -hmm. it just happened to be, uh, an issue that's just right up my alley, my way of thinking. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And, um, I I just, God bless you. You're one of the, uh, few that I've seen that, that have the, have the courage to take on a big problem in, in modern psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. um, where a large segment of the the people in that profession are kind of excluding uh to to borrow terminology from our name two of the four persons Mm -hmm. uh the emotional person and the spiritual person Mm -hmm. um to a very detrimental effect right
1: yeah yeah to be honest my take would be that they're not intentionally doing it's not it's not an intentional act so um, the fathers of, of modern psychology, so like Freud being the sort of father of modern psychology and then Jung and his disciples and, and various people, the fathers were essentially materialists, right? So they viewed the human person as being constituted by nothing other than the matter of their body, the cells of their body, and, and, and neur- you know neurons, um, neuronal activity, hormones so they 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 viewed the human person as nothing other than a highly evolved animal and um the, the idea of a spiritual soul was a uh, the the great divorce you might say they sort of they just they jettisoned the notion of a spiritual immaterial soul especially freud freud was an was an outspoken materialist so i don't think that people i don't think that practitioners these days are maliciously trying to do something. I think they're just following on from what's been handed down for the past hundred years, you know?
0: Okay, Okay. fair enough. But it has had a uh, devastating and detrimental effect. You would agree, right?
1: Yeah, I'd say it's largely ineffective. Like, you know, there's, there's a proliferation of, of therapists and counselors, at least in the Western world, but mental disorders are on the up every year. So there's, there's, a, there's a mismatch there. If we keep on like the british government for example poured hundreds of millions perhaps billions into training therapists over the past 10-15 years but mental disorders are just on the rise essentially so something's wrong with the picture really Mm -hmm. yeah and it's the the, you know that what one of the things that i sort of labor the point of quite a lot is are the spiritual faculties of the soul it's mainly the spiritual immaterial reality of our soul that's just not countenanced by modern psychology at all, you know, yeah, yeah, there's lots to say.
0: Lots to so say. I've seen I've done a lot of reading in the last few years on this on this type of thing, and this and this total divorce, what, whether it's intentional or not, of the of the soul of the psych uh, of the um, spiritual element from what is a human person. Mm -hmm. Well, when you see people do unspeakably evil things Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and you don't recognize the spiritual element of a person, well, then you can't really call it evil because evil really doesn't exist. So we have a tendency to, to almost use mental health to excuse behavior that's really I mean evil, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, I remember years ago I used to have a, a political show, and I and I had a uh, forensic psychologist on there, and we used to talk about talk about this in the frame of the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and um, this this was a very brilliant man, and he told me there's you know a little bit of overlap that the lines are the circles are not clearly drawn, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: but that um, (laughs) modern psychology or a large segment of modern psychology wants to put it all over to the, the medical physical mental aspect and and not even consider this other aspect. and, do you think that's why we've had a rise in in just these horrific crimes, like school shootings, for instance? One just one example. Oh, just,
1: it's certainly one of the. Yeah, so it's it, it's all part of a bigger picture for me, to be honest. So we've gone in the twentieth century from being, you know, America, the UK. We, we were largely a religious Christian society, we've gone from being religious to being a post religious society. Um, I, sorry, I don't know, is this a is this a Catholic show? Or, are yes. you a Catholic? It is yes. right? Okay, yes. So Pope Benedict 16, for example, said that 1968 was the last year of Christendom, right, we've moved into a post Christian society. So if, if you part part of the um, psychological divorce of, of the spiritual features of the soul from material and the the jettisoning of the of the um spiritual faculties of the soul was part of a a bigger picture of the jettisoning of jettisoning of god from society right so we've gone from being like at that time in the earliest early 20th century moral psychology had quite a strong foothold like psychopathy to be a psychopath the original diagnose, the diagnostic name was moral insanity that was the, the, the name of psychopathy prior to psychopaths and sociopaths coming on the scene you know so they viewed it in terms of moral psychology some time ago but that's just dwindled and dwindled and dwindled and now for example psychopathy is seen as what they call neurodivergent so it's it's just seen as a neurochemical imbalance that's you know as you say it it takes the morality out of it. that that's that's a that's a massive problem that's a huge problem if you if you view the human person as a highly evolved animal and morality is just a construct so there's, there's so many parts involved in this is this there's, there's the f- philosophical schools and academia that filter down into psychology it is the you know, the abandonment of truth by clerics and things. There's so many parts to this. It isn't solely due to psychology by any stretch of the imagination. Psychology is just one flower of an evil um, root system, essentially. Um, but yeah, the, the the rejection of God in modern society, the view of humanity as being just a highly evolved animal it's comprised of nothing other than the flesh and skin and bones um, that they, you know, their the material, our our material body consists of it's all part of a bigger picture so why are there more crimes um because we've lost our moral compass we've lost sight of god we've lost you know we've lost our anchor to sanctifying grace we've lost our vision of what goodness looks like it's it's yeah it's, it's 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 certainly a bigger problem than Clinical psychology, it's, it's a much bigger problem than that, you
0: know, yeah. I would say. Wow, this is a fascinating conversation. I've got so many questions for you. Um, so let's decompress two things that you that you say here. Now, from my understanding, I'll give you my anecdotal understanding, and you tell me if I'm correct or, or not correct. I'll do my best. <laughs> but my understanding of mental illness... Uh has always been a person who is not in full possession of his mental faculties. A person who has a distorted sense of reality, who can't separate reality from fantasy. For instance, a person who might kill another person because he thinks that person is a vampire or Mm -hmm. or something like that. I'm using an extreme example, but... Mm -hmm. That's always been my understanding of mental illness. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other hand, when a person uh, and I brought up school shootings um, and and I I, and the only reason why I know this is because I've read extensively about it, Mm -hmm. read several books about it. The Parkman shooting in Parkman, Florida, in 2018, Mm -hmm. this person was methodical in how he planned this attack, how he packed the right weapon and the right armaments how he knew his entry point how he knew how he was going to get in and get out blending with the crowd mm-hmm. um in the way that he went through this school from top to bottom mm-hmm. was methodical he carried it out like it was a military operation mm-hmm. and killed and wounded 34 people in six and a half minutes God. um it's hard for me to say that person was not in possession of his mental faculties. He knew everything that he was doing every step of the way.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So to me, there's a very big distinction from the you know, vampire killer mm-hmm. and someone like this, right?
1: um it's hard for me to comment because i don't know the story and I, I don't know the guy but i hear what you're saying i understand i understand the distinction that you're drawing for sure so perhaps if i back up and talk a little bit about categories of mental disorders that, that might help i don't know would that be okay yeah so in old money um say a hundred years ago they had two broad categories of mental illness so they had psychoses and neuroses they're distinct Right? So today still you have psychotic disorders. A psychotic disorder is a perceptual disorder. It's a perceptor, so it's, it's characterized by a disorder of perception. Either I see something that isn't there or I hear things that don't exist telling me what to do. So hallucinations is one typical feature or and delusions is the other. So I'm the king of China or you're a vampire, right? So that's a delusional framework so a, a psychotic disorder is a detachment from reality in in tomistic in a, a sense you might call that a catastrophic men- mental illness right it's it's detached from um normal perceptual processes okay neuroses or neurotic disorders are more uh, one way of thinking about it is they're emotional disorders okay so depression anxiety disorders ptsd obsessive compulsive disorder they're emotional disorders so it's, it's a different category really and then you have um, you had the emergence of what was called borderline disorders um, which have come to be known as personality disorders since a borderline borderline personality disorder for example that the use of the term borderline um, was was used to express that it's sort of mapped onto both an emotional disorder and a perceptual disorder so, and you get it with depressed people if people are depressed enough They say close to delusional things, really, you know. I've worked with people, I'm working with people currently who are very severe OCD, and they're saying things that are bordering on, it almost feels like a psychotic delusion, but it isn't because they can reason their way around it and see the fallacy of the position, you know. So, um, yes, for sure. I, I, I think that... I think what you're edging towards is an idea of culpability. Who's more to blame, right? So is a person who's absolutely lost um, use of their faculties? And uh, yeah, and and that I I would, you know, I'm not a moral theologian, so I wouldn't like to say, but instinctively it seems obvious that if somebody, if I think, I I had a friend who had a psychotic episode a few years ago, and he thought people were outside trying to come in and stab his wife to death and his child. He had a baby, a one-year-old at the time. So he went in he became psychotic, God bless him, and um was giving a knife to his wife to protect the baby. Do you know what I mean? So you, you can it's very clear that if you if you're psychotic, then you're not culpable for certain actions, that's that's for sure. If somebody isn't psychotic and they have you know, when it comes to psychopathy, so so to be a psychopath, that's not a psychotic disorder, that's a personality disorder by modern um, you know terms but uh yeah i don't know if that sheds any light on what you're asking about
0: yeah I, I i think so i think we're you know we're we're moving in the same direction so now we now we we step down from these extreme examples to depression mm-hmm. and depression is something that a lot of people deal with and go through some constantly, some uh, in and out of depression um, uh, in certain circumstances and, and, and situations. Um, so, again, I'm going to start off by telling you my perception, which I fully admit could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. But um, my anecdotal perception has been that that depression is more often caused by life experiences and how we respond to life experiences than from some organic medical thing. I, I really have a hard time believing in this concept of a clinical depression, which is just, like you said, the neurons misfiring and, and what have you. Most people when when I hear depression categorized as a mental disorder, Mm -hmm. I have a big problem with that because when I see people who are depressed because they lost a loved one, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I I would think to not be depressed in that situation would mean you were disordered. Uh, So most of the time that I see people, and and I know a lot of people that use depression as a crutch because they don't want to try. They don't want to make an effort. So, where am I off balance here? <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: okay. So depression, for the most part, and you've said a few things. So I don't want to say I agree with what you've said necessarily, because there are some things that I do and some things that I don't in, 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 in what you've said, because you've, you've put a few things together there. Fair enough. Um, I'm a psychotherapist. I used to be a psychiatric nurse. Right. So I used to work in acute inpatient psychiatry with schizophrenics and bipolar and and, and the more severe end of uh, mental illness. And and for the past 10 years, I've been working as a psychotherapist. I moved to psychotherapy because, well, I always intended that anyway. That was always the path that I, the, the end goal that I intended to arrive at. But. The reason that I lent more towards psychotherapy than a medical treatment was because of what you said. So I, I would agree that depression and common mental health problems like social anxiety or health anxiety or, you know, one in four people has a common mental health problem. Antidepressants are the most commonly prescribed medication on the face of the earth, you know. So I, I agree that for the most part, um, such difficulties... Are given rise to by our experiences and how we respond to our experiences so it's nurture and, and and not generally stemming from an organic cause that being said it can stem from an organic cause but it's rare i hmm. would say for the most part it's just we're not we're not relating healthily to our own soul we're not really our, our thoughts so one of the things that i talk about in so i've created a course called overcoming depression with catholic cbt one of the things that's identified really in modern psychology but you know it it does it in a uh, not a great way but the way that we're thinking when we're depressed is irrational essentially that was how the in again they use that terminology 50 years ago that it's fallen out of favor now because it's politically incorrect to say so but it's, it's more accurate language so there's something wrong with how you're thinking when you're depressed there's something wrong with how you're behaving when you're depressed there's something wrong with how you're relating to your emotional life when you're depressed so a cycle psycholo- there's definitely such a thing as a psychological disorder and all that means is that there's disorder within the psyche there's disorder within the soul mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I would say that generally speaking in my experience people who are depressed are depressed because they've had very difficult experiences in their life often in their childhood god bless them most of the time there's there's practically no fault sometimes we're depressed because i've had an affair with a lady down the road and i feel guilty about know I mean that's you know sin will also darken the intellect sin will also weaken the will so uh, again this separation of morality from psychology is just a bad idea because we're moral creatures right we have a we have a conscience and we can do things that we consider shameful but uh, the majority of the time when people are depressed when i work with them they've been through things that they haven't known how to handle they haven't known how to process. They haven't known how to work through. They've developed maladaptive coping mechanisms thereafter, and they don't know the way out of it. They don't. They don't know how to achieve psychological order. They don't know how to achieve peace of soul. You know. Um So yeah. So, uh, but so I wouldn't go so far as saying there's no such thing. All clinical psychology means is that a doctor has said you. Sorry. Yeah. All clinical depression means. Is that a doctor has diagnosed you. That's all it means. You've met sufficient diagnostic criteria for a doctor to say, look, he's depressed. That's all that it means. It, but okay. um,
0: fair, fair enough. I can, I can accept your explanation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we're going to make a segue into what you're doing. And here's how I'm going to make the segue.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to take psychotherapist Greg Nolan mm-hmm. and Catholic Greg Nolan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going to put this together. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, psychotherapist Greg Nolan talked to me about depression and then explained to me how that marries up with Catholic Greg Nolan and, say, St. John of the Cross, Dark Night of the Soul. Uh, So how is depression equate to the Dark Night of the Soul? Are they similar? Are they the same thing? Is there some overlap? And uh, explain why your approach is different than what we see in 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 a lot of places.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Um, depression isn't the dark night of the soul. It just isn't. So, uh, John of the Cross said, uh, "When I, I really liked the name of your podcast, so the four persons and and the heart being one of the persons, you know." So when um, St. John of the Cross talks about the dark night of the soul. It's a spiritual path. It's to do with spiritual union with God and the, the sort of denuding of the psyche of, of, of its, of its um, strength and power, really. So it talks about the dark night of the senses first, which is the denial of pleasure through the senses, and then the dark night of the soul, which is the denial even of things that we know in order to lay down our, our intellect before God to be unified with God in contemplative silent prayer. So the dark night of the soul isn't depression. So um, Ignatius of Loyola, for example, talks about the discernment of spirits. And he talks about consolation and desolation. And that's one of the models I use in, um, in my overcoming depression with Catholic CBT is this, it's this idea of consolation and desolation. But when Ignatius was talking about that, he was talking about the spiritual life. He wasn't talking about the life of mental health it just maps onto mental health really well (laughs) so you can use it um but so when he talks about spiritual desolation that's in your prayer life right it's in prayer if you're depressed outside of your prayer life then that's not the desolation that saint ignatius was talking about it's not the dark night that saint john was talking about um sorry that's that's answered the 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 latter point first but the, the first thing you said is talk about what depression is um Depression is, is a, a real mental disorder that people experience. I'm, I'm What I'm careful about is using the term mental illness. Not that I think that mental illness is necessarily technically wrong, but I think it puts the wrong idea in people's heads. Because when you say mental illness, an illness is typically thought of as something like the flu, or cancer, or COPD, an illness. It's something that I have that's part of my... Um, it's a physical disorder, all right? Whereas depression is a mental disorder. It's a psychological disorder. The soul is disordered, that's for sure. And it does impact, it does impact the body. So when they talk about neurotransmission, for example, that's true, it's demonstrable. When people are very depressed, they're, they're, they're not transmitting um, neurotransmitters effectively. That, that's, that, that's clear to be shown. But the reason for that, I would say, from a Thomistic perspective, is that the, the Thomistic principle that the body conforms itself to the operations of the soul? So if I live in such a way as my, my intellect becomes darkened, my will becomes weakened, my passions take on too strong a life within me, to the point that I've got no motivation to do anything, no pleasure, so I'm in like a, a what you would call as an objectively depressed state. My body is going to start changing to conform to that pattern of behavior and experience, you know. So there is a you know due to the fact that we're a body-soul composite, if there's a disorder in my soul, that's going to have a negative effect in my body and how my body functions, even at the level of uh, brain activity. It's it's,
0: it's certainly... And And I had a Catholic psychotherapist explain this to me years ago, and that's where we came up with the concept of the four persons. Mm -hmm. Uh, She explained to me that the emotional is going to affect the mental, is going to affect the physical, is going to affect... The spiritual, they spill uh, over onto each other. Yeah. And then, of course, I read it in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, that you shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul, mm-hmm. and your whole strength.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's kind of where we came up with this. So how does your approach deal with what we typically find in terms of addressing the whole individual? whole individual? Mm-hmm.
1: The, the first difference is in, is in the starting point, right? So the, the first difference is in the, the view of what the human person is. And you, you've rightly shone a light on um, the elements of the human person. So body and mind, the distinct categories, right? So intellect, uh, our capacity for reason and our free will, the certain, the certain faculties of our soul, intellect and free will that are immaterial, They're immaterial. My ability to think is distinct from brain activity. It's distinct. So I've got to be careful with how I approach this. Um, The process of thinking is a spiritual activity. The process of willing and choosing is a spiritual activity. That being said, because we're a body-soul composite, all of the knowledge that I have comes through my senses. This is... um, The Aristotelian position that Thomas Aquinas took up later, right? So this is realism or all knowledge that I have comes through my senses. I have sense impression and I have an imagination, which is again, that belongs to my body. The imaginative faculty is part of the body. My emotions are part of my body. My intellect and will are not part of my body. They're part of my spiritual soul. But because we're a, we have a spiritual soul and we're a body soul composite, when I think my brain is engaged, right? You can't separate one from the other in this life. They will be separated at the point of death. Your body will die, and your your spiritual soul will go on. Right. So when we stand before our blessed Lord after death, it's it's going to be your spiritual soul standing before our blessed Lord, not your body. Your body will be rotting in the ground until the, the final resurrection. So the starting point of the difference between Catholic CBT and any other secular form of psychotherapy is the understanding of the different faculties of the soul. And that goes on to affect how we think about ourselves, also how these faculties should relate to one another, what should be at the top, what shouldn't be at the top. You know, so the spiritual faculties of your soul Um, uh, the, the higher order power, my intellect and will are a spiritual power. My intellect and will is in common with the angels. The angels are pure intellect, pure will. They have no body. They have no passions. They have no imagination. They have divinely infused knowledge. Human beings are a composite of intellect and will, which is spiritual, but body as well. So we're a composite. We're one thing but we, have, we bear a quality in common with the angels. We bear a quality in common analogically with God, right? When it says we're made in the image and likeness of God, the church teaches that's principally in the soul, principally in the soul. And that's because we can think and reason. Our, our blessed Lord is called the divine Logos. Logos is reason, Logos is. So the starting point is the major difference between what I do and what any Catholic, what any proper Catholic therapist will do and what secular therapists do. So the understanding of the of, of the person, what is the person? What, what, what constitutes the powers of the psyche? What constitutes the powers of the soul? And it's really clearly stated in the writings of Thomas Aquinas, it's wonderful. You know, the writings of Thomas Aquinas are an absolute gift to the field of psychology. They're crystal clear and it makes it so easy. <laughs> it makes it so easy to to, to utilize. Um, so that's the starting point what do you have there it's blurred i can't see it the summa. <laughs> beautiful wonderful thank god for that difficult to read it's a difficult read but it's a little... it is it is yeah. yeah but um yeah and and from that starting point all of the treatment really um is affected every element of the treatment is affected so shall i go on talking about the treatment or
0: yeah. So, so let's, let's start there. So I'm patient X mm-hmm. and I, and I uh, come into you and say, Hey, uh, doctor, I've really been, you know, struggling with depression, really uh, have a, a difficult time in my life. Where would you start? Okay. What is, okay.
1: So I'd start with the, the general process of assessment. So how long has this been happening? When did it start? Can you remember a start to it? Sometimes people say, well, I've been depressed all my life, you know? So my mind goes to formative years. So what? what tell me about your early years. Tell me about what you went through. Tell me about what you've experienced. It's really inquisitive. So in, in, in early days therapy, I'm doing a lot of listening. I'm asking questions to to map out this person's experience, to map out, you, you, wanna, you, you really want to identify what's the genesis of the, this difficulty. So there's a distinction between a a reactive difficulty. You mentioned earlier, somebody dies and they go into a grieving process and then they become depressed thereafter. The grief is different to depression, right? So that's got a clear starting point. Somebody died, I wasn't depressed before that. Some people, so we, we can look at, well, how have you managed since then? What have you been thinking? What have you been doing? How have you related to yourself? How have you related to other people? So you're looking at the person's life in its fullness as best you can. Um, But if they, if people say, well, I've sort of been depressed on and off all my life, then I want to know, I always want to know, to be honest with you, something about what went into the formation of this person's character, what went into the formation of their persona, their identity, how they relate to the world. So some people, many people their early experiences set them up that it's just inevitable they're going to have mental health problems later you can see it happening and you can get a feel for it when
0: you talk to people right um
1: yeah so and then
0: is that typically from uh people who were um, abused in some way as, as 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 children whether that's sexual abuse or mental abuse or physical abuse is that is that a common starting point for the people that struggle with depression all their lives
1: can be, yeah? The way way that I talk about early experiences is there's two ways, broadly speaking, in which things can go wrong. The first way is what you've described. All right, so uh, uh, something was there that shouldn't have been there. The, the the, The language that I use for that is a present evil. There's a present evil in the life of the child, and that's sadly all too common. The other thing is something wasn't there that should have been there. The absence of love. The absence of affirmation, the absence of kindness, the absence of play. So, for example, if if when you're born, you, um, your mother is catatonically depressed, so she's in bed for two years, or you know she's got a severe mental illness. There's no abuse, but you're not getting what you need. You know, you're not getting love, affirmation, play, tactile, being held. You know, so there's either a present evil or an absent good. There are the two ways in which things can go wrong, broadly speaking, in terms of a present evil. Yeah, abuse in its various forms, addiction, if they're raised in a, an addicted household, um, just the, the viewing of violence, you know, it, sometimes it's vicarious. You can, poor children, you know, they're raised in just very hostile environments. But broadly speaking, the way that I talk about it, is there's a present evil or an absent good. If those things, they they tend to present different differently as people grow up. Actually, so a present evil presents differently to an absent good. You see different things in in the outcome of those two types. But yeah, abuse is is very common. I've worked with you know childhood sexual abuse more times than I care to think about. It's, it's
0: yes. Yeah. So different. you talk about a present evil or an absent good. Mm-hmm. What about uh, is there any difference in the case of someone who has been traumatized by, by something that was neither um, and an and, and accident that, you know, devastated the family, you know, uh,
2: uh,
0: killed family members or, or or something that was external, that was no one uh, in their family or in their surroundings, uh, you know, trauma of, of some sort.
2: Yeah. Is there a
0: difference in the way that, that those people deal with that than the person that was in the presence of that active evil or that deprivation of good? Uh-huh, uh-huh.
2: okay.
1: Um, yeah, so in, in those cases, so for example, if you're in a house fire because of an electrical fault, that's that's still, um, I'd still call that a present evil. And what? I, so there's a distinction, for example, between a moral evil and a material evil. I see. Right. So a moral evil is somebody did an evil thing. Material evil is just something I suffered a broken arm is a material evil. Right. I got you. So, um, it's still a suffering, a a road traffic accident, like a, you know, road traffic accident very commonly leads to post-traumatic stress disorder. It's often nobody's fault. Right. But there's this instantaneous thought I'm going to die and that's traumatizing. It's too much to process. So they go into shock and PTSD thereafter. So yeah, it's more fear-based then when it, when it's, when it's, when it rests upon a moral evil, So abuse, it's much trickier. And it, that generally, again, I'm, 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 I'm thinking out loud as I'm talking here, to be honest, I'm reflecting on my experience, but there's a difference between a fear-based difficulty such as a road traffic accident, PTSD, or um, I don't know, I saw my wife fall through a at the top of a greenhouse and, and it scared me half to death. That's fear-based. When you have a, abuse, rape, sexual violence, it's more shame-based, it's fear and shame-based. So it really complicates the picture. That's, that's what some writers would call interpersonal trauma, right? Um, and that's much more difficult. Like in, in fear-based trauma is relatively simple to treat. Shame-based trauma is much more complicated. To treat, but that that would be one distinction that I would draw. But th- there are many.
0: Okay, so let's draw from just the one example that the person um, I- experienced um, a long chain of of what you describe as moral evil um, for a, a long duration of time in their childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, where would you start in terms of in terms of your treatment? For chronic childhood abuse yes
1: Um. oh man the, 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 where would you start you'd start with assessment again you'd, you'd want to there's there's lots in it there's lots there's probably there's too much to say to be honest for this in this time but some elements so you need to build a relationship firstly right so you're talking about interpersonal abuse you're talking about interpersonal trauma essentially there's a book that's um very well worth reading, called "The Body Keeps the Score" about interpersonal trauma and sexual abuse. I don't, have you heard
0: of that? No. Who is that? Who is that by? And we'll make sure we put it in the show notes. Um,
1: I'd have to look it up. It's right. um, Van der Kerk or something. It's a, it's a Dutch guy. Works in America now. It's sort of it, it's, it's considered in most um, modern psychological circles as sort of the authority on that kind of trauma really Mm -hmm. um but building a relationship insofar as you're able developing trust you know you you need you you would need to work towards working through the traumas themselves if it's if it's chronic if it's chronic multiple incidents of trauma over many years again it varies person to person (sighs) um it's hard to say without a case in front of me to be honest in 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 general principles there's very element various elements to trauma per se let's talk about ptsd per se because that's what we Mm -hmm. seem to be talking about here okay so ptsd firstly we'll talk about what a trauma is all right a trauma is an experience that i can't process and the reason that i can't process the trauma is because the emotion is evoked so highly that the brain can't tolerate it the brain just shuts down and says this is too much Right. This is and the brain does that for us because it wants to protect us. The two emotions, typically or passions, if they're evoked highly enough that traumatise us, are fear and shame. If I'm too frightened, I'll just shut down. I'll go into shock. It's like this. I'm not having this. And when people talk about a a fear-based trauma where their physical integrity was at risk, this guy is going to kill me, or I'm going to die in this crash they talk about dissociation. So dissociation is a big part. It's like a a switching off to the experience. This isn't happening, you know? Shame-based trauma is more, this is too debased. This is too, um, this evokes too, with shame-based trauma, one element that's very, very key to identify is the effect that the trauma or traumas had on the person's sense of self. Who am I? Because when people are traumatized, they, they usually say something along the lines of, I was one person up until the trauma and then it ruptured and I've been a different person since, right? So you want to look at their view of themselves. You want to, what in CBT, you'd call their core belief about themselves. But there's loads of elements. So there's the emotional processing of the trauma or traumas. There's the reintegration to life in the here and now because typically somebody in PTSD, they're not engaging in life in the here and now. There's the reclaiming of life in the here and now. There's the reclaiming of the self right back to birth, right back to the point of conception. There's loads to it. Um, Where do you start? You start with an assessment. You start with what happened. How did you respond to it? Like you would with anything, really.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because um, to be perfectly honest, a lot of this is uh, hitting home. (laughs) A lot of this is... uh, uh, experience with with my own family, and uh, and I've talked to other counselors who've kind of touched upon some of the same themes that you've talked about. Uh, for instance, uh, borderline personality disorder, huh. uh, and that is um, that's a result of this uh, of this this overload that you describe, right? Where the, the 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 mind just can't process or take any more and then the person starts to just disassociate and it's almost like they become it's almost like the borderline is like borderline multiple personality disorder is that i mean it can be really really destructive to people who experience these kind of things right
2: yeah. yeah yeah
1: early life trauma for sure personality disorders are all thought of as
0: being born
1: of early life experiences so it's a maladaptive way of relating to oneself and the world around us but born of early life this is generally you see a lot of trauma with borderline personality disorder but um you then you've touched upon dissociative identity and, and, and things so dissociation isn't quite isn't necessarily it's very rarely dissociative identity All right, but so dissociation um is a, is a is a response to acute anxiety too much there's too, there's too much fear all right People dissociate all the time, really. Um, and and there's, there's particular physical reasons for that. Um, it's to do with what happens in the body when you're frightened, essentially. But
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to throw lots. a real sticky one at you. <laughs> a real sticky one at you because this one's been, been thrown at me. And I think this is at the, the core of what we're talking about here. And this is a really sticky dilemma. Uh, It's been, again, my anecdotal experience, and you can correct me if my experience is wrong, but a lot of people in these types of situations who were once people of faith, perhaps people of great faith, Mm -hmm. um, lose their faith, turn away from their faith. Uh, And it's because of two great difficulties And I'll give you both of them. And the first is, where was God in the middle of all this? Uh Why didn't he protect me?
2: Yeah.
0: And the second is, I have to forgive. And I don't want to forgive Uh the people who did this to me and the people who supported it and the people who looked the other way and the people who didn't stop it. Mm -hmm. Those are two sticky, sticky problems, wouldn't you admit? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's uh, the, the spiritual divorce from God is what one of the greatest tragedies in human experience, you know. So one of the things that I do um, that I work part of is post abortion work, post abortion trauma, post abortion depression, post abortion syndrome. Um, one of the features of post abortion syndrome is spiritual divorce from God, I've got no time, I, I can't, I can't contact you know, I, I, I can't go there, which is tragic. The, the only, uh, in a nutshell, the solution to the problem is reconnecting with God, right? It's uh, moving back toward God. But You said forgiveness. Forgiveness, is, yeah. Forgiveness is... And a it, uh, It's a hurdle. It's a hurdle. There's ways of approaching it, that's for sure. What was the first one? Sorry, I missed the first one. Oh, where was God? Where was God?
0: Where was God in the middle of all this? Yeah. Yeah,
1: God was right there on the cross, experiencing what exactly what you experienced. You know, God is with me more than ever. This is you know, it's the, that that would be that my instinctive response to the question, "Where was God?" God, God is in all. God has borne all of my suffering. The teaching of the church is that in our Lord's passion and death, He bore. The spiritual wounds of the entirety of humanity. Our blessed Lord bore every rape, every mutilation, every incestuous act, everything in His flesh. Where was He? He was right there. That, that to me, that would be. I know that it's saying it very quickly, and it might seem a bit dismissive. But uh, you know, we're not talking clinically here. This isn't, this isn't necessarily how i would say it clinically. Mm-hmm. But this is the reality. This is our. This is our faith. You know um forgiveness somebody asked me about that yesterday <laughs> forgiveness is hard it's really hard how do i forgive the stages today you know it, it, it's, it's misunderstood largely um thomas aquinas said a, a thing that to me when i heard it it really rocked me it was like man that's 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 so important and it has proven to be so so there's a there's a, a A phrase of Thomas Aquinas, he says, justice without mercy is cruelty. Justice without mercy is cruelty. But mercy without justice is disintegration, which is is very interesting. So justice without mercy is the man stole the apple, chop his hands off. Right. That's the punishment for the crime. All right. I don't care about mitigating factors. It doesn't matter. Mercy without justice is looking at the mitigating factors without actually judging the, the bloody evil of the thing that was done. So, um, a lot of people feel that they're supposed to forgive and what they, that, what they interpret that, that as is, I shouldn't feel angry or something. I shouldn't hate the person. They're, they're circumventing the psychological response. They're thinking that forgiveness means um, betraying my integrity and not feeling hate or anger. You can only forgive if what you've, if, you, if you acknowledge the wound right? If you bear the wound, part of the wound is I in hate this person. That's part mm-hmm. of the wound, right? You, mm-hmm. you can't forgive until you acknowledge the full reality of yourself and the woundedness. So in my experience when people struggle to forgive, and I don't know, I, I don't want to step on anyone's t- toes or anything. I don't know if this is touching uh, personal things for you too much. And um, so I'm just, I, again, airing my thoughts. But one problem can be that people aren't giving themselves permission to feel The fullness of their passionate life i hate i'm I'm enraged they're not allowing themselves to be and they think that forgive to forgive means to not and and that's a proper instinct right they shouldn't jettison themselves they should they should fully experience themselves and do honor to themselves and their woundedness and what happened and that is step one in forgiveness i would say but you're right it's tricky it's a
2: tricky
0: dilemma yeah, and um, to answer your question, yeah, you're really hitting home with with, with some of these things, but um, and that's okay because I know there are other people that um, you know have experienced this this same kind of thing, and um, what you're saying is is very very helpful to them. Now, you brought up what Saint Thomas Aquinas said that really struck you. I was really struck by what St. John of the Cross said, Mm -hmm. Um, enumerating what you're talking about, where Jesus was right there in the midst of our suffering. And I remember when I was younger, um, you know, reading the scriptures and reading about when Jesus cried out from the cross, Uh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh I remember struggling with that, that. Wait, wait a minute. Jesus is God, so how could God cry out to God that he's forsaken by God? Mm -hmm. I really struggled with that. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And the way that St. John of the Cross describes it is that in some intimate way that we can't really understand, Jesus fully immersed himself into his humanity at that point in order to totally identify with the suffering, the unique suffering of feeling like God has abandoned you, Mm -hmm. uh, in order to make that deep suffering holy and salvific, so that at the moment when you feel like God has abandoned you is actually the moment when he's closest to you. And I read that. It was like, boom yeah that's where he was be to God. Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely absolutely but again going back to what you said um it, it it's hard to say that to a to a traumatized person they don't want to hear it um so, yeah
1: it depends where they're at it depends where they're at yeah but you're it, right it, they
0: can that's what right. i'm trying to understand is and, you know, we can't go into specifics on specific cases, but just in general terms, how does the process look that gets you from point A to, to that point? How do you work towards that?
1: It it depends where the person is. It depends who they are. And so I, I um now at this point in my career, I'm moving I'm, I'm, my attempt, right? What What I hope to do is to um, practice as a Catholic psychotherapist. I've worked for 20 years in the National Health Service, right, so, so socialized healthcare. So it's, it's 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 I, I can't even mention God, <laughs> right? And I haven't been able to for, I, I left the NHS about two years ago now, so I'm working privately now. Um, but wh- how do you do it? It depends where, where the person's coming from. Like in, in, in for example, the post-abortion work that I do, some some of the people, have a real living faith. Mm. They have a real living faith, so that kind of idea just isn't jarring to them at all. Some some people, when when you when they've been traumatised and you say God is with you, they're internally saying that they hate you for saying it. They hate. There's like a, a visceral felt. They're like, uh, get away from me. You know, they're, I don't want to hear that. So it depends where the person's at. Um, so it's, not, it's certainly not one size fits all, but in terms of mental health, right, in terms of being psychologically ordered, we were made for God. My soul is made for God. All of my experience, everything in my, in my experience should be experienced, what Aquinas calls subrationi dei, under the aspect of God. Everything is under the aspect of God. My my view of me is under the aspect of God. Well, God made me. My view of the world, God made the world. My view of evil, evil is uh, an offence to the glory, the extrinsic glory of God. You know. So, what, when I'm when I'm working with religious people, part of what I part of what you do in therapy is to enlighten the intellect, right? Is to to state the truth, to bring people back to the truth. If I'm not bringing people to the truth, I'm not helping them. Now, you, you, you're right that it depends on who, the person that I'm working with. Some people I only by example, right? Some people. So, so I, I was on a, a podcast a few weeks ago, and a guy said, "Well, how do you convey to somebody that they have worth?" And I gave a fairly technical answer. And I thought afterwards, what I should have said really is, you just you, you exemplify it to them. So in the relationship, you you have worth for me, right? So you just, you you give an example of love, you know? And that's all some people can take, And but that's very healing for people, that's for sure. And if they can see that, and if they're open to the truth, which is that I'm a creature of God, which is that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son became man, died for our sins, bore my wounds, bore our stripes, bore everything that I've experienced. One thing that people say when they've been traumatized is god didn't experience what christ didn't experience what i experienced he was never raped he was never you know um molested mutilated well he was mutilated (sighs) but he bore the spiritual suffering of everything 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 he's experienced everything we've experienced spiritually he's experienced the psychological traumas that we've experienced and he didn't sin. Um, so yeah, well, part part of why, part of true psychotherapy, so healing of the soul, is bringing people to God. It has to be, otherwise, it isn't actually healing the soul. It's it's a it's a, um, a fake plastic version of psychotherapy. It's not it's not it's not genuinely fully human.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? To use an analogy, it's like uh, you have a fractured leg. And the doctor just prescribes you enough morphine so you can't feel the pain without healing the fractured leg. Yeah, that, and that's an analogy, but I mean it's kind yeah. of the same thing, right?
1: Yeah, it, yeah. It's symptomatic. It's not going to the deeper level. That's for sure. Absolutely, that's absolutely a clear analogy. Another one I often think of is a, a psychotherapist who doesn't know what the soul is. It's like a physiotherapist who doesn't know what the body is. You know, a physiotherapist is a healer of the body. That's why you study what the body is and anatomy <laughs> and then you can do physiotherapy. Psychotherapists should study what the soul is and how it works before they do
0: psychotherapy, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you have, uh, again, we touched on this lightly. You've started a program online, mm. a self-help program online mm-hmm. um, to tell our viewers how they can, uh, access that and find more information about what it is that you're doing Mm -hmm. um so the program is called overcoming
1: depression with catholic cbt um it's an online video series it's hours of content i find when i do therapy even when i work with religious and catholic people the amount that they don't know is staggering it's staggering and I, there's, there's lots of what you would call psychoeducation, like th- uh, just explaining how things are really, and a lot of that can just you, a lot of that can be done outside of the context of psychotherapy. So it's a self-help program really, with lots of psychoeducation in it, lots of tools and strategies of what I can do in terms of my thinking, in terms of my behavior. What can I do to overcome this? Because there's lots we can do to overcome it. Um, where do you access it? I've I've just got to look for a moment. Excuse me. I've just, I've, I've, I can never remember my website. (laughs) Um, so I've got christian-psychotherapy.co.uk. That's christian-psychotherapy.co.uk. They can also find me on Facebook. I've got a YouTube page called Catholic CBT.
0: Give me that address again. I'm going to type it in the
1: comments. So christian-psychotherapy.co.uk. Psychotherapy.co.uk. In the in the website, it clearly expresses Catholic, but you know, I'm, I'm open to working with Protestants too. You know, I can work with anyone, but I want
0: them to know where I'm coming from. Um, and then on added, Facebook, I just added that to our um, to our comments so people can access that website.
1: Lovely. And then there's me on Facebook, Greg Nolan. Um, I've got a Catholic CBT group. I've got a catholic cbt page i've got a catholic cbt youtube page so um no it's called catholic psychotherapy on youtube i think they'll find if they get on the website then i'll I'll add all those links anyway to be honest
0: yeah and do you have an email address
1: yeah i've recently got a new one for this business actually as as we, we were talking prior to this meeting that I'm not the best with um, technology. Hang on a moment. So my email address is catholiccbt.gmail.com. Sorry, catholiccbt at
0: gmail.com. Is that what I said? Yep. Yeah. Catholiccbt at gmail.com. Yeah, And we have also put that in the comments uh, so uh, people can reach out to uh, Dr. Greg. Thank you. This oh, I'm a, not a
1: doctor, by the way. People well, are you're not.
0: Oh, I'm not a doctor. No. <laughs> okay. I, yeah. I stand corrected. You should no be. No problem. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, I get that.
0: This has been a fascinating uh, conversation, and um, I hope we can bring you on again. This I really, really enjoyed this. And Thank you. This is um, Right up our alley and we will definitely um, be in touch with you and follow up and, and and spread the word on what you're doing. I think you're doing God's work here. Please God. Please God.
1: Yeah. It's been it's been a thorough pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for your time. All right. God bless you and have a wonderful day. You too. God bless. Bye bye.
2: Hello, Saver.